26. In my own experience of blindness, I'm in a weird space right now. I walk with a cane, but I still have enough residual vision to see the faces of people on the street as I walk by. Sometimes I feel like I'm faking my own blindness. This morning on my walk to work, a little girl stared at my cane with her face screwed up in childish confusion, and a professional dude in his 30s gave the white ball at its tip a look of what I want to call impassive prurience, like his face was a mask of casual indifference, but I could see his head swiveling as I passed, and his eyes tracking the cane with interest. As a man, I don't have to deal with being ogled and appraised the way women do, but there is a version of that sort of entitled visual appraisal that I see men performing on women in public at play when people watch me without knowing or caring that I can see them watching. As much as I want to deny the phallicism of my cane, it still totally feels like these people are ogling an embarrassing, elongated appendage that if I had any decency, I would put away while I'm in public. In those moments, I feel like making a bad joke about it, like the one Stevie Wonder makes about his blindness, to dispel the tension, to heal the disconnect between me and the person regarding me. Being disabled has its own challenges, of course, but I sometimes think that this distancing is worse than any actual impairment to sight or mobility, the sense of discomfort, fear, and otherness that people feel around disability. Or the discomfort with the idea that when a disabled person exceeds their expectations, when they want to take a photograph or buy a TV, that they're somehow beyond belief. And that fear often manifests as a sort of looking at the disabled person as an uncomfortable, even intractable mystery, rather than as a person who can tell you everything you might want to know about their experience. I'm not the only composer to be captivated by echoes in subways. The best part of the Lincoln Center is the tunnel from the IRT to the Beaumont Theater. Here's Pauline Oliveros writing in 1968. Walking toward the theater, my footsteps greeted me from the approaching wall. Midway, they followed me from the opposite wall. I listened to this more than 150 times. An Alice in Tunnelland. Oliveros pioneered deep listening, the notion that we can relish and listen intently to sounds outside the window as much as any music inside the concert hall. Sparky was a little boy who liked music, and he liked to sing. He particularly liked to sing out in front of his house, where he could see a big mountain. Whenever he sang there, his voice went all the way to the mountain, struck it, and bounced right back to Sparky so that he could hear himself sing. It was an echo. We've come to Maidenhead to experience an astounding echo. We're under Brunel's railway bridge, built in 1838 in the boom years of the railway. Do you know my name, Bridge? It's something that all the children around here come and do. You know, you come down and shout your echo and come and feed the geese and the ducks and things. It's, it's a good spot to play, really. I'm Jodie, and we've got my daughter, Anya. We've got my husband, Richard, Hello. and my son, Adam, who's two and a half. Well, I am an absolute Brunel geek, so um, we used to go and see lots of things around London that Brunel had built, but when we found out that there was a bridge here in Maidenhead, and you can hear the train going over it, we were thrilled. It's irresistible, isn't it? You can't walk through here and not provoke the echo. I mean, just while we've been talking, we've had toddlers, and we've had a couple of grannies coming through as well, and everybody wants to do it. Can you hear it, Olivia? Can you hear the echo come back again? 
56.